Hello, this is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. This is my last podcast as Richard Branson becomes editor-in-chief on January 1st, 2018. I am most grateful of the opportunity to be your editor for the past 10 years. I have every confidence that the journal will continue to thrive under Rich's leadership. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped me in my tenure as editor. Specifically, I thank Sarah Moore, assistant editor, Rich Branson, deputy editor, Ray Masferrer, managing editor, and Sam Giordano, publisher. I also want to thank my associate editors and the members of the editorial board. Most important, I want to thank our authors and you, the readers, as we would have no journal without authors and readers. This month's Editor's Choice paper by Gobert et al. evaluated the assessment of cough peak flow measured using the ICU ventilator flow meter. They found that cough peak flow measured using the ventilator flow meter was able to predict extubation success. For the subjects with early extubation success, the median cough peak flow was minus 68 liters per minute and the median tidal volume was 0.65 liters. For the subjects with early extubation failure, the median cough peak flow was minus 57 liters per minute and the median tidal volume was 0.45 liters. Goyen and Schmidt suggest that a low cough peak flow could lead the clinician to identify its cause, such as malnutrition or physical deconditioning. Pack and colleagues report their experience with a respiratory therapy-managed arterial catheter insertion and maintenance program in a non-teaching community hospital. Their experience establishes the feasibility of an RT-managed arterial catheter placement program in a community ICU. The RT-managed program was characterized by a high degree of success and safety and allowed arterial catheter placement at times when intensivists were not available in the ICU. This experience underscores the value of RTs as members of the ICU team. Berlin proposes that this adds value to a healthcare system overburdened with expense and inefficiency and represents an opportunity for forward-thinking RTs. The effects of SIMV with volume guarantee or pressure support ventilation with volume guarantee on ventilation parameters, pulmonary inflammation, morbidity, and mortality in preterm infants was investigated by Unal et al. They found that pressure support plus volume guarantee provided closer tidal volumes to the set value in ventilated preterm infants with respiratory distress syndrome and was not associated with overventilation or a difference in mortality or morbidity when compared with SIMV plus volume guarantee. Thus, it appears that pressure support plus volume guarantee is a safe mode of mechanical ventilation. Haas and Mai point out that, despite the small sample size and the insufficient paired tracheal aspirates, studies like this can collectively mean real improvements for the care of our patients. The objective of the study by Jaleel et al. was to evaluate the usefulness and clinical impact of an NIV protocol in hospitalized children 
with acute respiratory failure due to acute lower respiratory infection. They reported that implementation of an NIV management protocol that integrates initiation and discontinuation criteria for NIV was feasible. However, its use showed no advantages over a non-protocolized strategy. Hassinger et al. described the use of negative pressure ventilation in a heterogeneous, critically ill, pediatric population. They found that negative pressure ventilation was feasible for pediatric acute respiratory failure. It was associated with few complications and a 70% response rate. Children receiving negative pressure ventilation often required intravenous sedation for comfort, and one-third received delayed enteral nutrition. Those who required escalation from non-invasive pressure ventilation worsened within six hours. The Integrated Pulmonary Index utilizes an algorithm based on the measurement of end tidal carbon dioxide, breathing frequency, heart rate, and oxygen saturation to provide an assessment of a patient's ventilatory status. The clinical trial by CORE et al. was designed to determine if lower integrated pulmonary index values were associated with extubation failure. They found that declining integrated pulmonary index measurements post-extubation were predictive of extubation failure. Chu and colleagues explored the risk and related factors of reintubation for subjects who were liberated from mechanical ventilation within 14 days. Factors associated with reintubation within 14 days after ventilator liberation are related to the level and quality of the care setting. Thus, to prevent reintubation, more attention should be paid to higher-risk ventilator-dependent patients after they are liberated from mechanical ventilation. The study by Ariexel and colleagues examined the value of ultrasound-based diaphragmatic thickness fraction in identifying subjects with COPD at high risk for the development of symptoms and exacerbations. They found that diaphragmatic thickness fraction measurements based on ultrasound assessment in subjects with COPD appeared to be unable to identify high-risk subjects for symptoms and exacerbations as defined by the Gold Composite Disease Index. Choi et al. aimed to measure reflexive cough strength by cough peak flow induced by citric acid nebulization in subjects with stroke. They found that subjects with stroke had a reduced cough peak flow and more limited diaphragm excursion during the citric acid-induced reflexive cough test. This might increase the likelihood of aspiration pneumonia. Russell and colleagues evaluated a low-pressure oxygen storage system that addresses electricity fluctuations and failure during blackouts in low-resource settings. They found that the system was robust and durable. They suggest that this system is ready for clinical field trials. The objective of the study by Sid Juarez and colleagues was to describe maximum voluntary ventilation in healthy individuals residing at 2,240 meters above sea level and compare it to the reference values customarily employed. 
reference values for maximum voluntary ventilation from studies conducted at sea level were inaccurate at this altitude. At this altitude, maximum voluntary ventilation was about 45 times measured FEV1. The best prediction equations for maximum voluntary ventilation were calculated separately for females and males and included age and measured FEV1 as predictors. This month we publish a review on the use of speaking valves in children with tracheostomy tubes and another on the evidence supporting the value of the respiratory therapist. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.